Uh, good evening, my name's Rick. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to rectify that later and catch up with you after uh, over supper. If you've got your Bibles there, please keep them open at that passage in Ephesians 4. We're going to be spending most of our time in that passage. Sam gave a helpful kind of introduction to the series that we've been looking at. And as he said, we're finishing tonight on the second part of this topic, what is my role in a healthy church? Let's pray though. Heavenly Father, uh, we do want to be people who are um, doing what we can uh, for the sake of the body of Christ among us here and uh, uh, actively, proactively and um, knowing what is good, that you will help us to be people who are committed to growing us up into Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. You may have heard the old story that people sometimes tell, the illustration to, uh, that people tell to illustrate the importance of being in church and not, not being in church. It, it kind of goes like this. A, a pastor goes to visit a man from church, but this man has not really been coming along to church recently. And so he goes to visit him and they sit together. They sit in front of the fireplace at the man's house and the pastor doesn't say anything. They just sit in silence, but after a while, the pastor grabs the tongs and takes one of the coals out of the fire and puts it on the stone hearth in the front of the fire and just leaves it there. And as you can imagine, after a little while, the coal begins to dim and the fire in it starts to go out. Then, without saying anything else, the pastor gets the tongs again, picks up the coal and puts it back into the fire. And, of course, the, fire, the, the coals reignite and start to glow and burn again. And the message is clear. We need others around us. We need our church to make sure that our faith doesn't dwindle and go out to encourage us. Now, that's a well-known story. Perhaps you have heard it before. And it has some great practical wisdom in there for us, that it is hard to keep going in trusting Jesus, particularly when the world around us is bombarding us with a different message. It's hard to keep going in trusting Jesus without our brothers and sisters in Christ around us to encourage, to teach, to exhort, to warn us, to keep going in trusting Jesus. And so with that in mind, I had thought that perhaps we could spend some time in our final session this evening thinking about, well, what will my commitment to my own spiritual health look like when it comes to my commitment to church? You know, will, it'll, will it cause me to take responsibility for, for my own spiritual health, to, to be proactive in um, actually being there, in actively listening and, and engaging in what I'm hearing so that I can grow as well as possible, in, in being committed to relationship with other people so that I can benefit as much as possible from those things? And of course, all those things are important. But it's occurred to me that everything that we've looked at so far in this series on church actually turns it around to say that my commitment to church actually needs to be for your sake, for the people around me, for others. Let them worry about me, but my commitment, my role in a healthy church is for others. And so the final points that we're going to be looking at in our uh, series tonight on what is my role in a healthy church are I'm committed to our spiritual health, not just my spiritual health, but our spiritual health. 
And then I'm committed to your spiritual health, and I'll explain what that means later on. And there was going to be a third point about being committed to gospel growth through us, but we're spending a lot of time on those other two, so we'll have to come back to that third one another time. So as I said, our first point that we're looking at is I'm committed to our spiritual health. And what we mean by that is committed to keeping the unity that we have together through our faith in Jesus. If you've heard nothing else in this series on church over the past month, then I hope you've at least heard that there's no such thing really as an independent or lone ranger Christian. That when God saves us, he gathers us to himself and he gathers us to each other. That, that, the, that church is the gathering of people that God has saved to him and to each other and for the unity and for the relationships that we have with God and with each other. And that this togetherness and this unity is not just an in-theory thing, but it must actually make a difference in our lives and in the relationships that we have with each other. And so that is why the Apostle Paul begins Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, in the way that he does, telling us to live in a way that fits with who we are. Have a look at it with me, Ephesians 4, verse 1. It's on the screen there. As a prisoner for the Lord... Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He's saying, This is who God has made you. Now live in a way that fits with that. Now, of course, that needs to be true of each one of us in our personal lives individually. But the point that he's making here is that it must also be true of our lives together as church. And the key thing that he's telling us that that means is that a healthy church is united. Our unity. Have a look in verse 3 now. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. A healthy church is a united church. But notice there that he doesn't tell us to create a unity between us, to find some kind of common ground that we can unite around to, to create some kind of organizational or structural unity. What does he say? He says, keep the unity, the unity that we already have, because we are already united. And verse 4, he goes on to tell us what it is that unites us. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Did you have a... Look at how many times he says the word one in that. You are united by the oneness of God, of your faith. There is one spirit that unites us. There is one faith that we have in Jesus. That's what unites us. It's kind of like the toys in Toy Story, you know, Toy Story with with Buzz Lightyear and all that. I don't know if you ever noticed, they're quite a a weird, different bunch of toys there, right? there's, There's Buzz and there's... Uh, Woody and there's Mr. Potato Head and there's the the dog with the slinky in the middle and there's the T-Rex with the tiny arms that is scared of everything. Really quite a different group of toys there, but they're united together, almost like a family. What is it that unites them? They're all Andy's toys. They all have Andy's name written on them. They all belong to Andy. And that's what it's like with us and Jesus. 
We have his name written on us. We have his spirit in us. We are united because we have the common faith in the one Lord Jesus and his spirit. And so the command to us is simple. Keep that unity that you have through Jesus. And I think sometimes we can perhaps overcomplicate and get ourselves tied up in knots when it comes to this question of being united and, and, and unity. But it's really not that complicated. All it actually means is get on with each other. Don't damage our unity by bad relationships. It's kind of like the unity that a family has, right? Over the course of this series, we've been coming back to the idea of church as family in various aspects. Imagine if a family decided that we we need to be united and we need to demonstrate that we're united. And so the way that they decided to do that was that they're all going to wear a family uniform, right? All going to wear the same thing. For some reason, jumpsuit is what comes into, into my mind. So that everywhere they go, they, they wear this, this, this uniform because that's going to show that we're a united family. No, that's going to show that we're a weird family. <laughs> a united family is just a family that gets on with each other, right? That doesn't have kind of broken relationships that kind of ruins the unity that they have. The fighting, the selfishness, the unforgiveness that kind of breaks a family apart that should naturally be united. That's the kind of unity that we're called to maintain as a church. Which is why the commands that were given in verse 2 for what this looks like are just about getting on with each other. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. See, keeping the unity of the spirit that we're told to do is really far more simple than any kind of a complicated structural or organisational unity that people sometimes try and chase after because it's just about getting on with each other. It's very simple, but at the same time it's also far more difficult because it actually requires us to get on with each other and that's where the difficulty lies. And so the command to us is don't let bad relationships become part of our church. Don't let that undermine and corrupt the unity that we have in Jesus. Get on with each other. And it gets even more practical in the second part of the Bible reading that we had from verse 25 onwards. I haven't got this on the screen because it's a longer section, but I'll read just the first couple of verses of it. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. What, what great wisdom for how we relate to each other. And then he goes on and on about different things that either will or won't promote unity in us. Get rid of, of bitterness and, and slander and love each other. What's my role in a healthy church? Just to get on with others. That is, I'm committed to our spiritual health by being part of good, healthy relationships. Relationships that actually express, that actually reflect the family unity that we have as brothers and sisters in God's family. And that means being patient, putting up with other people when they're being difficult, getting rid of anger, verse 26, 
getting rid of bitterness, deceit, slander, verse 31, being kind and compassionate, verse 32. So I need to ask myself, am I letting anger cause conflict and division in my relationships at church? Or am I letting deceitfulness put up a wall, a barrier in my relationships with my brothers and sisters here? Am I letting harsh words or slander, gossip, drive a wedge in my relationships at church? And probably the biggest one is there in verse 32, unforgiveness. Am I letting unforgiveness drive a wedge in my relationships at church? If forgiveness really is so close to the heart of the gospel message, isn't it? How can we receive free forgiveness from God on the one hand and yet deny it to our brothers and sisters on the other? As I said before, I'm sure unforgiveness is like a cancer on faith. It eats away at my faith. Well, it's also true that unforgiveness is a cancer in the body of Christ, the church. It corrodes the unity and the good relationships that we're meant to have with each other. God calls us to be quick to forgive each other. We cannot live out our unity without forgiving. So my role in a healthy church is that we, just, that we don't let these things eat away at the unity that we have. And I'm, I'm sure that among us here tonight, there will be some of us who are all too aware of exactly the kind of thing that I'm talking about, who will have experienced the difficulties of relationships that we can have in churches with our brothers and sisters, but with difficult relationships and, and the pain and the, and, the, and the hurt that can come with that. And so this will press right into those kinds of situations for us and the need uh, to bring our hearts and our minds and our relationships into obedience to what God says to us here. On the other hand, I'm sure and I hope that there'll also be some of us who really haven't experienced these kinds of difficulties and praise God for that. But we all need to hear and take this to heart. There is a reason why this command is here. Because God knows this is not easy for us. He has united us together as his family, all kinds of different people with different personalities and different backgrounds and he knows what we are like. He knows that we are still a bunch of sinful people who will rub each other up the wrong way, who will offend and hurt each other, sometimes accidentally, sometimes even on purpose. And that threatens the love and the good relationships that should be reflected in what we are like as church. You know, what a beautiful thing it is when we do this well. What a beautiful thing it is that God has done among us through Jesus in drawing us together and uniting us to each other. And when we do this well, it is a beautiful thing and it, and it, and it proclaims God's goodness to the universe, to each other, to the world around us. It is beautiful. As we live as sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ who are committed to forgiving each other to loving each other, to graciousness and gentleness and humility is a wonderful thing. And so your role in that 
And my role in that is just to be committed to those kinds of relationships, to the health of this body, of our health together in our relationships with each other. So that's the first point that we're looking at. I'm I'm committed to our spiritual health together. The second one is I'm committed to your spiritual health. And what I mean by that is being committed to speaking gospel words into your life. That is, speaking the practical application of the message of Jesus to each other. I want to take us to start with, back to verse 29, which we looked at earlier, which is about how we talk to each other, you know, not speaking badly to each other, but also notice there is, a, there is a positive aspect to the command of how we speak as well. Verse 29 of Ephesians chapter 4, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. To each one of us have an obligation, a responsibility, not just to not speak unhelpful words, but also positively to speak words that are helpful for building each other up into greater trust in Jesus. See, however well we might get on with each other, we cannot be the family of God unless the thing that unites us is Jesus and our common trust in him and his spirit in us as a result of that. As I said with Andy's toys, we have Jesus' name written on us. That is what defines us as family and that's what unites us and it must always be that and only that, our trust in Jesus. And so growing and strengthening us as a family happens as each one of us grow and are strengthened in our trust in Jesus. And we all have a role to play in that for each other. Now, in some ways, if you were here last week, this is kind of an aspect of what we were talking about last week, of of each of us using our gifts for the sake of building each other up in our trust in Jesus. But this particular focus of this is about our speaking. That is, we're all called to speak gospel words, applying the message of Jesus into each other's lives to build each other into maturity in trusting Jesus. And just to kind of uh, nail this down a bit further, I want to take us to Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, which talks about this same sort of thing a bit more. Again, it talks about the role that each one of us have in speaking gospel words to each other. Verse 15, um, I'm going to start with, but verse 16 is really the main bit. Colossians 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Notice again from verse 15 that it begins with the unity stuff that we were talking about a moment ago, the peace of Christ dwells in us and rules amongst our relationships as the body of Christ. But then it goes on to talk about the gospel words, the message of Christ, that we speak to each other, that we are building each other up to maturity in Jesus as we speak them. And notice too that I can't do this properly if I'm not committed to my spiritual health. 
I need to have the message of Christ dwelling in me richly, verse 16, so that I can speak it truthfully and helpfully to you. The image that comes to my mind is the, the image of a, of a honeycomb that is just rich and oozing with honey. You know, there's nothing richer really than a than honeycomb that's just oozing with honey. So you are the honeycomb and the message of Jesus is the honey and it is just flowing out from you to spread its goodness to the people around you. Now, of course, I need to be committed to my own spiritual health. Of course, I need to be committed to church in order to grow and be fed. Of course, I should want to make the most of every opportunity that I can, can, can get to grow myself. But do you see how this fits into the bigger picture of my commitment to your spiritual health? That is, I'm trying to grow myself so that I can be more helpful to others, so that I'm rich with the message of Jesus that it just cannot help but spill out from me to you and to the people around me. And I want us to notice particularly that it is all of us that are called to do this, that speaking to each other with words that are rich in the message of Jesus is not just the responsibility of some of us. It's the job of all of us. Yes, there is a particular role of pastors and teachers to feed God's people with the word of God, to guard and teach the truth of the gospel, to make sure that we all keep hearing the truth of the gospel and don't drift away from that and that false teaching doesn't come in and contaminate it. But each one of us also have a vital role to play in speaking the message of Jesus into each other's lives. It's not one or the other, it's both. And also, it's not just for the people who are you know, more talkative or more outgoing and more you know, into speaking with other people. You, know, you do the talking stuff, I'm more into the doing stuff. You know, I'll do the helping people things, I'll do the, the cleaning or the mowing or the financial, helping in financial um, support. Yes, we all have different gifts, as we talked about last week, and we all serve in, in different ways. But what I'm saying is that for all of us, that still must include helping each other to apply the message of Jesus into each other's lives so that we can encourage and strengthen and build each other up to trust Jesus more. Now, there have been plenty of times when I have been encouraged and challenged by a dear brother or sister in Christ who would never have considered that they you know, have a particular gift for, for speaking or for words or that they were especially wise or insightful, but who are rich in the message of Jesus. And so that just can't help but come out of them as I speak to them. And it's encouraging for me and for other people. We need to be those kinds of people. And so the question is, do you take seriously your role to build others up into greater trust in Jesus by the words that you speak? Now, I thought I might, just to help us get a bit more concrete about this, suggest three kind of situations, three contexts, where we might have opportunities to do this, and then also some examples of what we might actually say. So the first kind of situation is just at church, you know, before or after the, this part of our meeting together, is a great opportunity to be speaking you know, gospel words 
to encourage, to apply the message to each other's lives, to each other's hearts, and particularly flowing out of, if it's after church, flowing out of the stuff that we have been talking about during the service. You know, there's been plenty of times where I was the one who preached, and yet in conversation with someone afterwards, someone kind of speaks back to me something that has come up in the sermon, but says it directly and helpfully and, and personally to me. It is such an encouragement or such a challenge, such a, such a comfort, such an opportunity that we have, that we all have, to be ministering to each other with the words of Christ in that kind of way. So that is one of the, the great opportunities that we have to be doing that, one situation. The second one, as I mentioned last week, is in our Bible study groups. You know, we are sitting around God's Word together, teaching each other as we, as we read the Word together. And as we do that in relationship, we can then apply that more directly and personally into each other's lives. You know, I remember, you know, so Jimmy over here is sharing something that's going on in his life and, and then someone goes, well, actually, what, what we've been talking about today speaks really helpfully into that situation, don't you think, and is able to encourage or challenge them into that particular situation in their life. As we get to know each other better, that's a, a great opportunity to be able to speak gospel words into each other's lives. That's the second situation. And the third one really is just the personal conversations that come up in life throughout the week at any time just because we now know each other, because we are doing life together. Maybe it's in, in person, maybe it's on the phone, maybe it's messaging or social media, but speaking to each other personally and into our particular life situations, you know, positively encouraging or even negatively warning or or rebuking. And again, I've had plenty of situations where dear friends, dear brothers and sisters in Christ have done this for me and it is such a good thing to be able to do for each other. So what might we actually say? What might we actually talk about? Well, there's myriad, so many different things that we could say and it might be context-specific, but just to give some examples... Just encouraging someone to believe that they really are forgiven. A brother or sister in Christ who is trusting Jesus but is wavering in doubt. Encouraging them to let their confidence in their standing before God come because they're looking at Jesus, not because they're looking at themselves and feeling down about themselves. Actually being able to say that to someone personally is such a blessing and an encouragement. Or following on from what we are talking about before, encouraging someone to forgive someone else, someone who has been wronged and is struggling, is holding on to unforgiveness and is struggling to forgive, just encouraging them to actually take that difficult step of forgiving because that's the kind of people we're called to be. Or warning someone, warning someone that perhaps they're playing with fire in some aspect of their life to kind of pull them back from the direction that they're heading in. That is, you know, when done well, that is a blessing that we can love each other with. Or challenging someone about what trusting and following Jesus looks like in their life. You know, I've noticed this going on. Do you think that's a good way to be loving your wife? Or I've noticed this going on. Do you think that's a, a, a good use of your money? Or do you think that's a, a healthy relationship for you to be involved in? Or the positive side of that, you know, thank you so much for the great example. You're loving your wife so well in that. That's a great encouragement to me. Or, you know, the way that you're using your money or or, or your relationships, encouraging people in those kinds of things. 
or encouraging someone by just reminding each other of the goodness of what we have in Jesus and not to be seeking satisfaction in other things as we so easily do, you know, in, in our career or in our hobbies or our toys or in some other kind of achievement in life or some relationship that is just consuming me. Reminding each other that what we have in Jesus is actually so much better than any of those things as we sometimes think about. Those are just some examples of the kinds of words that we can be teaching and encouraging and exhorting each other with because we are soaked in the message of Jesus and in relationship with each other. So my role in a healthy church is to be committed to your spiritual health in that kind of way. It requires, as I said, that I am soaking in God's word myself, that I am in relationship with you and in good relationship with you and that I'm willing to speak those words for your sake, for your up, up building, building up, and for you to do the same for me. Well, that kind of brings an end to our, our series now, but I just thought I might try and round us out for what we've been looking at today in this topic of church for the past month. I hope what we've seen is that church is no kind of minor side point in the Christian life that God is gathering people together, saved by the blood of Jesus, into his family. People who will praise him and enjoy him for all eternity. That is the universal project that God is on about. That is his church and it is a beautiful thing. And that our church, even our church with all its problems and whatever it is that we might have going on among us, is like a mini model of that. That is how significant what we are doing is in God's eyes. That Jesus died and rose again to bring you to God and to bring us together to him. And that is beautiful in God's eyes. And that should drive us to want to praise God together and to want to love each other well as we live out the unity that God has created in us through Jesus and by his Spirit, and to want to remind each other to look all the more to Jesus and to trust him all the better, to build each other up into that. And that should, as a result, flow out from us to the world around us. The love that we have for each other should shine out to other people and the words that we speak of Jesus should flow out so that others will also want to come and join us as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Let's pray that that will be the case. Heavenly Father, it really is a remarkable thing that you have done in us and in eternity in your church. And sometimes perhaps we, we look around at, our, at each other, at ourselves, and, and, and think it pales by comparison to, uh, to heaven. But, Father, help us to believe that what you have done for us in Jesus and are doing us in, in us through Jesus is indeed a remarkable and an eternal thing. Father, help us to know that it is beautiful and to want to see that beauty reflected in our relationships. So, Father, help us to love each other, to forgive each other, to bear with one another and help us to each one of us Help each other to turn our eyes to Jesus, to look to him and to live for him in every aspect of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.